Episode 22 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards are the most breathable, lightweight, and durable mouthguard on the market. When you have a Sisu Mouthguard in your mouth, Gumby, you can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. You don't have to constantly be taking the mouthguard out, putting it back in. You can just keep that sucker right on in there. Yeah, and that's way more sanitary than the usual because you get your hands on, on the dirty mats or on the dirty playing field all over the ball. All of a sudden, your hands are covered with spit. Dirt, all that kind of stuff. You're putting that back in your mouth. You do not want that back in your mouth. You can do all of those things without taking it out of your mouth when you have a Sisu mouthguard. So head over to SISUguard.com and get yourself a Sisu mouthguard. So in summation, Sisu mouthguards are the most sanitary mouthguard on the market. Safety first. Be clean. Be safe. Don't do drugs. Sisu mouthguards brings you our episode, our newest episode of Top Turtle MMA, episode 22. Are rolling. This is Top Turtle Podcast, episode 22. I am one of your two co-hosts, David Tremonti. You can catch the show at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. I, of course, am joined by my co-host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland. You can catch him on Twitter at Gumby Vreeland, V-R-E-E-L-A-N-D. And thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums, however it is you do that. We, of course, are available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, basically wherever a podcast is being streamed. And you can, of course, get us on the mothership, MMA-Manifesto.com. We live on the podcast tab. Gumby, how are you today? I'm good. And, uh, whoa, what a week in freaking MMA. This has to have been the biggest news week in the history of MMA. It, it, the craziest part about it, too, is remember going into that, and you can look at last week's podcast, too. We were super underwhelmed by 199. I'm pretty sure we said multiple times. I was just kind of like, eh, I, I might buy it. Not only that, I was underwhelmed by UFC 200, and then in one fell swoop, everything changed. Everything changed. It's 99 like, and 200 became the biggest couple of pay-per-views in a row for me, maybe ever. <laughs> the, you know what? I, I, I think it's akin to... To a baseball team that doesn't have a cleanup hitter, and then they trade for that mega hitter, and the whole lineup, it all right, you know, rising tides lifts all boats. Brock Lesnar, just from the freak show perspective of UFC 200, now I'm not mad at the UFC 200 lineup anymore. No, you want to know what the best part too now is if you're thinking about it. Now, Tate Nunes, not a bad fight, not a super exciting fight. No. It is now fourth to last on that card. <laughs> That's it incredible. Is a title fight. That is fourth to last on the pay-per-view. That's just insane. And that for a fourth to last fight, that is a very, very awesome fight. Okay, so let's do it like this. Let's talk about the surrounding drama of UFC 199 first. And then we'll talk about the fight. And then we'll talk about the fights because we've already started. So here, here's how it kind of went down. About an hour before the pay-per-view, um, a MMA journalist by the name of Ariel Helwani, the preeminent MMA journalist of our time, tweeted out uh, that Brock Lesnar was coming back. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Brock Lesnar at UFC 200. I texted Gumby like the little girls that we are. I I didn't believe it at first. I'm going to be honest. Even though Helwani was doing it, and usually when Helwani reports something, I 100% trust him. Absolutely. Uh, With the Brock Lesnar rumors and Fedor Emelianenko rumors, I never believe it until I see it on paper. I actually forgot about that, too. And then I think the same day, if I'm not mistaken, it was revealed that Fedor's fight is on Fight Pass. It's on Fight Pass. In two weeks. So now you have a relationship between Fedor and the UFC, albeit in a sort of roundabout way. But, you know, I mean, the rumors have been there for years, so I don't want to read into it. But he did say he was negotiating with them recently. I think if he smashes Maldonado, because he's fighting Fabio Maldonado, I think if he smashes Maldonado, it sets up a pretty nice rematch between him and Verdum. Absolutely. And obviously the UFC, if there's a sale on the horizon, I mean, the fact that they brought Brock Lesnar back in, put him second from the main event, the co-main event, they're just putting on the best fights they can or yeah. the most entertaining fights they They're can, about to I make should an say. ass load of money. Too. Yeah. So if Fedor's in the mix, I'll be, uh, you know, all the better. But that all being said, so Helwani broke the news, and then in the middle of the pay-per-view, they air a promo for UFC 200, standard UFC 200 promo fair, and then at the end, uh, the surprise, Brock Lesnar, can you see me now, I think. He yelled yeah, into the camera. It, it was the can you see me now from when he – was that when he beat Frank Mir? I think so. Yeah, I think that was when he we beat Frank Mir 
or maybe when he beat Randy Couture. I can't remember. No, because when he, he beat Frank Mir, it was uh, Coors Light. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I'm going to go home and drink Coors Light, get on top of my wife. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm pretty sure that's when he beat Randy Couture. But either way, yeah, it was completely shocking to me that it was for real and that they had a promo ready to go uh, with with Brock Lesnar at the end of it. So now we know that Brock Lesnar's back in the mix. The UFC 200 card is complete. But if that wasn't enough news uh, for a dorky MMA fan such as myself or Gumby to take in, they finally announce that Nate and Connor 2 has been finalized for UFC 202. Yeah, and again, I'm less interested in that one. I'm more interested in just getting it over with. Uh, I mean, it's a good fight, but, you know, like, I don't know. Here's my take on that, I, and I'm with you, because, uh, you know, it's back at 170, so now we have to deal with all the weight issues again. We're playing guessing games on whether or not he can even make 45 again. Right, and it holds up that division, and I feel the same way as you, but I have to say I've come to a point in my life now where I've decided, for as annoyed as I am by some of their matchmaking sometimes, or even, like, let's say going into 199, how underwhelmed I was, when the bell rings and the fights start, I'm a thousand percent there, and I just have this feeling for as annoyed as I'm going to be by having to go through Connor Nate two, tw- you know, a second time in a five month span. When that fight is happening, you're gonna I'm, have like yeah, yeah, I'll be giddy yeah. as a schoolgirl. Exactly right. So that was that, and then here's the the other fallout from UFC 199. So if you recall, I started the story by saying um, the preeminent MMA reporter of our time, Ariel Hawani. Uh, broke the news before the UFC was allowed to release it. Then it comes out that he was uh, kicked out of UFC 199. His press pass revoked. Uh, and in all future press pass revoked. revoked. The internet reacted with outrage. They felt like the UFC was being a bully. I'm and pretty it, sure Free Helwani was trending on Twitter for a little it while. It probably was. He made the rounds in the media, went on, um, I think, the Dan Patrick show, and all his buddies, like the um, Jeff Wagenheim from Washington Post, Kevin Ioli, who's a very respected the, boxing. The, ya- the Yahoo Sports guy. Yahoo Sports guy. They all wrote articles about it. Very bad publicity for the UFC. And they reversed the decision and gave him back his press pass uh, about 48 hours later. But it was just such a wild storm of events. Yeah, and there, there's like 800 different rumors out there about why this is the straw that supposedly broke the camel's back. Because we all know or, or have all seen in the past that Helwani hasn't gotten along with Dana White. Um, I know, you know. Few have. Yeah, I, well, that's true, too. But they're, you know. Say people saying he got pissed off for for you know um, uh, a comment to John Jones or a comment to Chuck Liddell or some people saying he got pissed off for well, saying something to one of the Diazes so, well, and this, so this and that. I, I listened to his podcast word for word on Monday where he revealed it, and these were kind of the I'll give you like the four major bumps in the road. About a year and a half ago, he said something got physical. It then came out because nothing's hidden on the internet that he had asked Chuck Liddell if he would fight John Jones. This was at the Glover John Jones fight in April of 2014. Uh, Dana White's security apparently took issue with that because Chuck Liddell is a retired fighter and actually pushed him up against a wall. Um, so that was like an incident that really disturbed him. There was also an incident where, um, you know, him being the Fox reporter, which I think I have to say just to stop for a second, I think he was a little naive to believe he could be, work for Fox and stay impartial and not rub, you know, ruffle feathers yeah, in because, the UFC. Because if you look at any of the other guys on Fox, whether it's Fox Sports 1 or the Fox Sports desk for the UFC stuff, they're all kissing the UFC's ass every chance and they get. And they're UFC and, and employees. They're supposed to. I yeah. mean, like, well, even like Jake Lazier, who, uh, let's get it out of the way, doesn't know very much about MMA. Mm-hmm, right. Everything he says is like how great Pro the UFC, UFC is in, in matchmaking. So, yeah, and most of the other guys are UFC fighters. And so, you know, you look at it. Ask Bill Simmons how it goes when he worked for ESPN, when he badmouthed the NFL, ESPN's biggest partner. The UFC and Fox, albeit different companies, they're in bed together right now. It's, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So, Ariel, I mean, listen, I like Ariel. I respect him. Like you said before, anything he reports, I usually find to be true. I think he does a really good job at that reporting. But I think it was a little naive of him to think he could just work for Fox and not, you know, run into trouble with the UFC. So to keep going with this, then there was an incident where he asked Travis Brown ahead of time, can I ask you if you're dating Ronda? Travis said, let me check with Ronda. Ronda said yes. And then when he goes to Australia, flies all the way out to Australia, 
he's told by Fox people, you can't interview Rhonda. She's mad at you for asking about Travis. And then I think the real straw that broke the camel's back and what got him fired from Fox a couple of months ago was he had Rory McDonald on his show and was very positive about Rory going to free agency. And that's when Fox was like, get this guy out of here. He's mm-hmm. our employee, and he's encouraging a UFC fighter to go to free agency? Yeah, that's – yeah. You know what you're doing. I, I, I definitely, mean, He definitely knows what he's doing, but that's why he's the best journalist out there. Sure. You know, and that's why the MMA world respects him is because But don't he, work for the UFC or Fox. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yes. So it, and the other thing I think about that too, and, and I wrote a, a little article on it on MMA-Manifesto.com. You can head on over there and read the whole thing. But I think that this a lot has to do with uh, future contract negotiations with a TV mm. station, too, because I know they're with Fox right now, but that deal has only got about a year left on it. And, uh, I mean, anybody would be blind to see how much Dana White – or blind not to see how much Dana White is working with ESPN all they the time. They reveal all their news on Sports Center. All their news. Brock had to sit down with Hannah Storm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ronda had to sit down. Anytime – Freaking uh, – Conor McGregor sat down I was with Kenny just Mayne. Say, and let me tell you something, and it's a goddamn shame this is how it has to happen, but anytime there's a last-minute replacement to a mega fight, Chad Mendes stepping in on 11 days' notice to fight Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz stepping in on 11 days' notice to fight Conor McGregor, that news always gets broken on Sports. And you know Fox Sports 1 has a, a version of Sports Center. I, I mean, what is it called? Uh, uh, FS1. Oh, oh the Fox night, Sports News or Fox, the Nightly News. Or, I can't remember. It, I just it's terrible. It, yeah. It's not anywhere near as good as Sports Center. But Fox Sports 1 has that. So if he was really committed to Fox Sports and not ESPN, why is he doing it on ESPN? They, I th- and Colin Cowherd actually went on his show, now a Fox employee, formerly an ESPN employee. He said that he had it on good authority that ESPN is ready to go, quote, all in on a bidding war and for their uh, for, for UFC yeah. stuff. So a year away, and and I'm going to tell you the the thing that really seals this conspiracy theory for me too is that as soon as that promo aired, if you had the ESPN app, it sent an alert to your phone instantly, instantly, like seconds after Brock Lesnar's face appeared. You watch a pro basketball game, it ends. Like, three and a half minutes later, I get an update <laughs> that the game ended, and I who won. And I was like, oh, gee, thanks. I right. freaking so saw the, this game. So uh, the update was ready to go. The they ESPN knew. had it on authority, right? I truly believe ESPN knew ahead of time, and they wanted ESPN to beat those guys. Yes. So kind of like, you know, little trail of candy leading to the, the trap there. Uh, and I think that Helwani ruined it for him. I agree with that completely. And so now I also we, – we could button this up in a, in a minute, but I do just want to kind of end on this. So I do think while I, I'm all for free press and I don't think Ariel's press pass should have been taken away or anything like that, I do just have to say – in his defense on that Monday where he went on the MMA hour, very heartfelt. Um, you know, he cried. He revealed all his chips on the table, his whole entire history of the UFC. I do have to say, he kept saying that he was telling Dana in their argument, I'm just like uh, the baseball insider, Ken Rosenthal. I'm just like Jay Glazer for football, breaking news. I kind of take issue with that because the UFC, it's not really a sport. They're like a freak show marketing company well, that markets real fights, but they're closer aligned to a pro wrestling company well, than they are the NFL. And, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of MMA fans out, who out there take offense to that. And we don't mean that in, in a sports mm, sense, but no. we mean that in a marketing, a marketing sense, sense, right? You know who the Atlanta Braves are going to play on September 3rd, right? Right now. There's no hyping for it. You know that game's going to happen whether anybody wins or loses. That's who you're you're playing on September 3rd, and you know that in fucking March. Right. Not only that, it's it's different business models. The UFC drives to the pay-per-view, so if they have a surprise that they want to reveal for this pay-per-view and they want that shock of when you see Brock Lesnar on the camera, I liken it to if a movie critic revealed the end to the next Star Wars uh, movie, Episode 8. Is J.J. Abrams going to want that reporter hanging around Episode 9? Shit, no. No. Or especially to – or even just something as silly as, like, revealing the whole cast or revealing, like, one major scene or, like – Ahead of time. Ahead of time. Before the movie studio does it themselves. I mean, I think that's kind of common. So I don't believe that Ariel is a – beat reporter in the way he thinks of himself as a beat reporter because he's not covering a you know a sport a team where there's 
30 franchises with 30 owners and 30 GMs. And 30 and, different interests. And, yeah, 30 it's different. one interest. One in Right. And, like, you also, not only that, let's talk about the fact that these owners then get in bed with the uh, cities to fund stadiums with public money. I mean, there's a lot of interest in play in pro sports. In the UFC, there's basically one interest. It's the Fertitas. And, you know, tiny percentage of that, Dana White. Yeah, and, and I mean, you can count the fighters' interest, too. But, I mean, like... Yeah, who cares about the fighters? It, they mean, get screwed over left and right. Yeah. So, I mean, in the end, it like you said, in Major League Baseball, uh, owners, cities, fans, players, you know, minor league players, right. minor league coaches, UFC, Dana and the fighters. So, it's like Peter Gammons can call up a fellow um, executive, an executive when he's trying to break a story about the Red Sox... He can call up a Chicago Cubs executive, let's say, someone he knows, like, I don't know, Theo Epstein, mm. and say, hey, Theo, do you hear, are the Red Sox trying to trade, blah, blah, blah? But and the, the but other team is going to reveal it to him because yeah. there's so many interests in play. The other beauty of that, That's too, beat reporting. Yeah, and the other beauty of, of trades in, in, like, say, baseball, like you were just talking about, is they don't need shock value. That guy's going to be on that team for the next freaking 100 games. Right. You know, like, the shock value of fight – promotion is because you're going to see it once and in Brock Lesnar you might only ever see it once <laughs> and actually Joe Rogan brought this up on his podcast and I thought this was a really valid point it's not really investigative journalism quote-unquote when what you're kind of beating to the punch is going to be revealed anyway because they were going to reveal it two hours later it's not yeah it's not like it wasn't going to get revealed right so investigative journalism is hey did you know that the government killed a bunch of innocent villagers with a drone last year and it didn't make it to any newspapers that's like investigative journalism mm -hmm. something that was never going to come out but this was going to come out so honestly if you wanted to play the political game a little better, and if he read the tea leaves a little better, he could have just said, big surprise coming in two hours, hint, hint, it's a beast, or whatever, Yeah, and not ruin the surprise. He, he would have looked like the guy who still was close to breaking in. In the, in the know. In the know already, and he would have hyped it more for the UFC. They probably would have eaten it up. I'm so tired of talking about this. Why are we talking for ten minutes about a goddamn fucking reporter? Let's ah. talk about the fights. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the Okay, fights. so let's start with this. Uh, Bisping, Luke Rockhold, first round knockout, Bisping, who would have thought biggest... No, I gave him no no chance. So, <laughs> where do you rank this all time in the upset pantheon? Um, ooh, that's tough. Uh, I, I would, I would say behind at least, uh, Sarah GSP. And it, can I say, I, I'll give you that, it's very similar to Sarah GSP, because that was GSP's first title defense yeah but you got to remember that like while sarah got this title shot through the ultimate fighter he had had a dud of a career leading up to that for a few days or right. you know a few years you know like he went on the comeback season you know don't get me wrong bisping's on the comeback trail that's that's how he got to that title shot and it fell in his lap but like sarah was like on his last leg, and he, like, went on this show to just have some semblance of a career again. Now, oh, I agree with you. So it does rank behind that. Compare it to Holly beating Ronda. Uh, you know, so if I just take it, like, you know, if Holly went out there and kicked Misha Tate's head off, I would still have uh, – I, I would have Bisping higher. But because Holm is clearly beatable, too, now – you know, like Tate's shown that she is beatable and by a grappler. I still rank that one higher too. I would put home over Rousey higher than than Bisping, Rockhold, but it might end right there. It, it might be number three on my list, um, but it's it's definitely in contention. It's in con it's up there, yeah, because a prime Rockhold and for as good as he's looked recently, and especially in the UFC, his only losses to TRT Vitor. And then Michael Bisping knocked two, him out? Two left hands, too. Lead left hands. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Where does – let's take this first. Where does Bisping go from here? I, I think Jacare Souza makes the most sense right now. Jacare just came off an absolutely dominant performance of Vitor Belfort. Um, it makes all the sense in the world to me to get him a title shot. Bisping's healthy right now. Line it up for as quickly as you can. Um 
And in the meantime, too, you can take Rockhold and you can pair him with Vidor for that rematch. He's out six months, by the way, just so you know. Ooh. Yeah, because of the knockout. And that's no, like, and if a doctor can clear him, it's like, just he's straight up, he's out six yeah. months. Well, I mean, when's Vidor going to be back? Because he got bludgeoned up pretty good, too. I, can, I mean, I can you might say in November that those two could, could square off. So here's my thinking. Weidman wants to be back for MSG, so they could certainly do the Weidman-Bisping fight at MSG. But what I rather see, because I do think out of fairness being fair, you do uh, Jacare, because I do believe he's the true number one contender right now. Especially when you count out his loss to TRT Romero or, or Juiced Up Romero, on, whatever yeah. he was on. And then what I'd actually love to see is sometime, like maybe next early winter, could they do Rockhold Bisping on the Ultimate Fighter as coaches and oh, then they fight? Those God, two guys hate each other. That would be awesome. But I'm going to tell you, it is of my belief that if you ran... Bisping versus Jacare. Yo, Bisping's not walking out with that well, title. Listen, this is in professional wrestling. We call this a transitional champion. The UFC could just decide who do we want to make champion next? Because whoever they line him up against, I'm picking not Bisping. This is this is the craziest thing right now. I thought about this the other day. Uh, after that fight, I thought to myself, has there ever been a time in my life watching the UFC where I was pretty confident? that there were at least four champions who weren't the best fighter in their division. So can I just go with who you're yeah. talking about right now? Um, so Bisping, not the best fighter in his division. I don't think so. Cormier, Do you think so? No, yeah. of course not. Cormier, not Obviously the best fighter not. in his in his division. And then uh, you don't think Stipe is the best fighter I, in his I division? Okay. I mean, Do you think that like uh, a well-tuned Cain Velazquez wouldn't bludgeon him? Yeah, I mean, heavyweight's just such a fucking crazy world, but yeah. I'm with you. Okay, and then your fourth one, JJ, uh, do you feel Misha Tate is not the best fighter I feel in her Misha division? Tate's not the best in her division. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's been beat twice by Rousey easily. Right. You know, so, I, I mean, yeah, you can use that circular rock, paper, scissors logic for that uh, trio there. It, it's also worth noting, we have to always update this, and we did it on episode one, if you can remember that far back, Gumby, that was 21 episodes ago at this point. <sighs> We went through who we thought would still be champion at the end of the year. Another one bites the dust. Do we, do, who's still got it that had it at the beginning of the year? Just Robbie Lawler no, and there are a few. J it, RDA? Well, no, it's easier to go the other way. Let's talk about who's lost it. Okay. Um, the so, people who've lost it are uh, TJ Dillashaw. Oh. Yeah, men's Bantam. Women's Bantam. Women's Bantam, because Holly Holm lost to Misha Tate. Uh, now Luke Rockhold lost to Michael Bisping. And the fourth was... Oh, heavyweight. Heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, Verdum lost to Stipe. But we ain't even halfway through the year yet. And some of these champions haven't even fought yet. Yeah. RDA hasn't fought yet. Yeah, I saw a really good stat on Twitter. I'll have to pull it back up again because I think I saved it. Um, but it was something about how many... Oh, it was uh, like 18 in the past year and a half? Oh, I mean, the the title changes yeah, in, in the last, in year, the last and year and a half... Outdo like the last three years before that or something crazy like that. So I'll pull it up in a second. And I got to tell it, you, but... though, I actually think it's a good sign in this regard. It's not because the fighters are watered down. It's because the competition is getting heavier and heavier well, each year. Well, and I said this, too, when we, we talked a little bit about um, we talked a little bit about how rematches were holding up divisions. the rematches were holding up the divisions in those those. They, everything was really, really, really close in those 170 title shots. In the end, the reason that all of those are so close is because the divisions are getting closer and closer and closer at the top. It's yeah, not yeah. because it's watering down. Oh, I got the official stat. It was tweeted out by Mike Vaughn, awesome journalist, if you know him. Uh, there's been 11 title changes in the last 18 months. There were four in the 24 months before that. That's incredible. I mean, so the parody in MMA, and I think parody is a great thing for any sport. Yeah. You know, like, the reason I don't watch college football anymore is because usually every single year there's, like, two or three good teams and then the rest. I love watching college basketball because the tournament at the end is freaking crazy. Yeah, um, with you. So, all right. So, oh, and wait, this is the other thing I wanted to say about a potential Bisping title challenger. I'm all for Jacare because I'm a Jacare fan. It's what's right. And in this crazy matchmaking world of who gets title shots, I'm all for the right person deserving of a title shot. But I do have a guilty pleasure uh, potential fight idea I'd like to share with you. And it's stupid. I know. Don't I, make fun I of me. I think I know. I hope I know where you're going. Go ahead. 
I would like to see Dan Henderson fight Michael Bisping oh, for the title. I think that's I'm, not where I thought you were going because you know what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say Anderson Silva rematch. Oh, that's not bad either. Oh, because you imagine <laughs> Anderson Silva back on top after the, the shit he's done in the last I, couple I years. I think I actually would pick Bisping against Henderson, but my heart would be going crazy for Dan Henderson to, to win Oh, that. God. And we can transition to that uh that talk in two seconds about Dan Henderson. Sure. But right before I do that, I will tell you that I did see a rumor online today that the UFC is in the works to put uh, Bisping in the cage with Nick Diaz. At, for the title? Wow. I mean, I would assume it's for the title. But, That's, again, well, rumors on the internet, you can take yeah. them for whatever they are. But I'll tell you what. You imagine the trash talking that shit. That'd be amazing. I just I don't see Diaz sticking around at middleweight. If it, well, hey, I don't know. Anything could again. That happen. thing yeah. you said about the transitional champion. You get a Diaz with a belt. Yeah. Man. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine the possibilities. All right, so let's move now to the co-main event, which was Dominic Cruz just putting on a Neo footwork clinic for five rounds over Uriah Faber. I don't think we really need to go much into this. It was very fucking expected. The, the only thing I'll say is I can't believe one judge gave Faber a round. That was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what The only was. thing I could think of is maybe the first round, because there were those weird grappling exchanges. If that judge didn't know what he was looking at, he might think that Faber won. But, dude, that was clear five rounds to none, exactly what I expected Dominic Cruz to do. Okay, so I'll ask you now, Uriah Faber, assuming we get one more Faber fight, they have that new arena in Sacramento, who do you have Faber fight one so, last time? So I am going to say on record that I do believe he's done. I, I believe the level of competitor he is and what he said. He said, you know, like, I believe that I'm supposed to be the best, and if I'm not the best, I don't want to be here. The UFC will never give him another title shot. Thank you. I, I don't Please, think they ever I don't think they should have given him this one. I don't either. But that being said, if they do give him another fight, one more fight, you know, on the way out the door, give him Aljamain Sterling. Let's oh, do it. That's not bad. Yeah. Because, you know, Aljamain Sterling, fresh off a loss, it'd be a great way to get a name record. What a name win on his record, and if not, it's a great twilight fight for your IFA. What about a grudge match in the vein of professional wrestling? Uh, the mentor fights the student, real Bruno San Martino, Larry Zabisco. If you know your wrestling history, how about Uriah versus TJ? You know, I, I hear that, but you know, I don't think they actually want to fight. No, in, in all that, I, I think there's talk, but I, I don't think there's any actually anything there. It's too emotional, man. I don't even want to watch the hype for that fight where these two like former friends. Badmouth each other like yeah I, just, I, I don't I don't think it's gonna happen f that all right and then for Dominic Cruz knowing the landscape of what you know at 135 who are you putting in front of him to try uh, to tackle the king I, I would probably go with uh you know either the winner of a Sun Tzu Dillashaw depending on you know how they look in that fight but if not I don't have any problems with Cody Garbrandt having the performance he just had and, you know, Faber was pretty much already calling for a Cody Garbrandt title shot as soon as that fight ended. Yeah. You know, like, in the interview, he was like, that's okay, my boy Cody Garbrandt's got a shot here. And then Dominic Cruz called him out because he makes a little percentage off of when Garbrandt fights. Because yeah. Because he's a yeah. company. <laughs> um, all right. But I, like, I like think Garbrandt looked better than uh, Brian Caraway, and those would be the next two logical ones if it's not – a Sun Sour Dillashaw. Right. Uh, yeah, so for me, I still think TJ deserves that rematch, and I'm not a rematchaholic, but in that case, I... I, I mean, if he goes out and definitively beats, beats a Sun Sour, yeah, give him that one. Well, what's definitive, though? It's a three-round fight. They're bantamweights. He won't knock him out. It'll probably be a three-round decision. Yeah, but, but okay, so how dominant does he look? Okay, is it is it a three-round decision like Michael Bisping just beat Anderson Silva, or is it... A uh, three-round decision, if you counted the rounds that, you know, Cruz yeah, just yeah. beat Faber. You know, if he, like, beats him like Cruz just beat Faber, where there's no doubt, it's not like a 29-28 where, like, one judge could have thought about it the other way. It, Gar- if he goes down and really puts a beating on a Suns out, then you can give him the title shot. No, I'm with you. And then Garbrandt is ranked number seven. Um, that, so I, If that hasn't changed, is that after no, that, that is, fight? Yeah, it's after that fight. That's a crime then. Yeah. I mean, well, who's he Al- behind? And, well, he's behind Al Jermaine and Michael McDonald. That's a little weird. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. It, is, um, out of curiosity, is Dodson in there? Uh, Dodson is, yes, he's eighth. Okay, that that's a little low for me too because yeah. I'd love to see Dodson 
mix it up with uh, Cruz at some point in time. All right. Well, the bantamweight uh, division will sort itself out. It's never been more exciting. Uh, now, as far as the featherweight division, Max Holloway, unanimous decision win over Ricardo Lamas. Fun final 10 seconds, uh, kind of a uh, street fight throwdown where they just flung punches at each other to end the fight. But the question here, Gumby, is what do you do if you put on your matchmaker hat with Max Holloway, who's now won nine in a row? So... You know, the funny thing is on that last show we had, I said that he needed to go in and throw down, right? I said he mm-hmm. needed to go out and look really aggressive, look really impressive while looking aggressive, and he did it. I mean, he did everything the UFC could have wanted him to do in order to look like a challenger. For me, what I'm thinking is going to happen, whoever wins at 200, either uh, Aldo or, or Frankie Edgar, might be ready to go before Connor's ready to go again. And that's if Connor's going to go back to 45. So maybe he gets a shot at the interim title versus that winner. Okay. And then whoever wins that gets Connor an MSG or something like that. Right. You know, like UFC 204 or something like that in freaking, you know, September. Right. Yeah, I'm with Early you. September. He, he, but I think for me, it's just the point of the whole thing is he needs to be in a title mix of some kind. It's, it's time for him he, to get a shot. Yeah, he can't fight and get a 10th win in a row, and then you look at Tyron Woodley, who's on a two-fight win streak, get a welterweight title. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not a win streak like, you know, no offense to Neil Magny, but Magny had like a seven-fight win streak recently or or in the past few yeah, years. Like, yeah, end of 2014, maybe. If you look at the names, they're not all that impressive. He's gone out there and beat some really impressive dudes. Cole Jeremy Miller, Stevens. Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson, Cole Miller, Charles Lamas, Charles Oliveira. He's beating top 15 guys consistently in that mix. Ever since he lost to Conor McGregor. And that, I'll tell you, that would be a rematch that I would like to see. Yeah, I, I would watch it. Um, that was a really boring Conor McGregor fight, by the way. I was there. Bragging to my brother, you got to see this McGregor dude fight. You got to see this <laughs> McGregor dude fight. Three rounds of McGregor takedowns because he tore his ACL and, in that fight. And, and it I was mean, just like, oh, can you, you made me looking such an asshole. Can you imagine just if we could go down a weird path for a second? You're a new MMA fan. Let's say you started watching in mid-2014 and someone says to you, yeah, you ever see that Conor McGregor fight where he took down Max Holloway at will? <laughs> You'd be like, wait, who? Oh, the, the same Conor McGregor? Like, that's so crazy. Yeah, like seven takedowns and just work ground and pound out of guard? Wait, what? Um, so the next fight we got to talk about is who knew Dan Henderson, the H-bomb, is now capable of not only a fist ending your night, but a back high elbow. kick and a back elbow yeah. is now part of the H-bomb repertoire. What an awesome fucking moment yeah it, it was an awesome moment for me to be just because like okay so he lands that big shot in the first round he's got everybody feeling good the crowd was great that oh day. i mean it was electric listening to those how much those people wanted to see him win then he gets tagged back in uh, the place is silent yep. and you're like oh damn this just proves you need to retire <laughs> and he drags that out of the shed right like throws that head kick it gets kind of caught, and while he's got the foot on him, he throws the little back elbow, and instantly everybody's like, I want to see him fight one more. I want to see him fight one more. I want to see him fight one more. And, you know, I do want to see him retire. Yeah. But like you said, if you put him in with Bisping, I'd watch the shit out of it. Yeah. You'd watch him fight Bisping. Oh, you know what? I fucked up on this whole Luke Rockhold thing. He's a 45-day suspension. 30 without contact after being knocked oh, out. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, so you know what I was confusing it with? I apologize to our um, our loyal listeners. Lombard, and oh, I think this makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. He things. got a six-month. Well, and the, the, yeah. the fucked up part about Lombard, too, uh, is that not only did he go out cold, but he took a couple of punches in the face afterwards, yes, too. Yeah. I mean, Dan Henderson poured it on. Which is, it's so <laughs> ironic the way things kind of play out, too, because if you remember, Henderson knocked out Bisping <laughs> at 100, and he got that extra shot in afterwards. Oh, yeah. It was, that's one of my favorite MMA moments. But then you flash forward. Here we are six years later, 99 events later. Can you imagine if after UFC 100... Doc Brown shows up in his DeLorean and tells you, hey, in 99 events, Michael Bisping's going to be champion. 
and Henderson's going to be the one fighting on the undercut. I mean, right. <laughs> it's like, what? It's so crazy. So, yeah, that was a feel-good moment. And then we'll just rifle through these, Gumby. Poirier beat Bobby Green with a knockout in the first round. He looked so good. He looked great. I love that part, too, when, when Green tells him, let's go. And he goes, all right, and then just knocks him yes. out. <laughs> awesome, awesome moment. Green. Dude, come on now. <laughs> um, what do you do with Poirier at 155? Who do you want to see him fight next? I mean, he's got to have a legitimate 155 challenger now, right? Like, you would have to assume, oh, God, I, I'm trying to think of 155 so crowded. Um, it's stacked. Um, yeah, you could fight somebody like Gil Melendez, though, coming off his suspension, maybe. He, yeah, well, he's got to fight against Barbosa. Oh, right, right, right. But, um, you know, Cerrone gets through, uh, what's his name, um, Patrick Cote. Yeah, that's at I, 70, though, right? Hasn't he been fighting? Oh, you're right. Yeah, he's at yeah. 70 now. Uh, Michael Johnson doesn't have a fight booked, I don't think. Yeah, I think he'd, I think he'd do well against Michael Johnson. And they're 8-9. and nine. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fair. fine. I'd do Michael Johnson. Just did some uh, matchmaking for the UFC. Then uh, Brian Ortega with, I think, his... Oh, that was so upsetting to me. Third, third round comeback win in a row. I, I, you're, you're not... Uh, uh, you remember me saying I thought Clay Guida could take him. I do. Yeah, and Clay Guida won four minutes and 40 seconds of that fight, and it was four minutes and 41 seconds long. Wait, Clay Guida won? I think Clay Guida won four, or, uh, 14. Yeah, 1440. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Clay Guida won 1440 of that fight, and he just lost one second. Yeah, right. You right. know, one moment in time. Who do you want to see? Uh, uh, Ortega fight next. I mean, I think the step up's got to be small still. You know, like yeah. he's he's three and zero or four and zero now, but it's or three. Won his last three. Well, yeah, he's three and zero in the UFC with one no. Three zero and one. He had something overturned because he uh, tested, tested positive, positive for steroids. For steroids. Yeah. yeah, so he's won his last three. He's actually won his last four, four yeah. but he hasn't looked impressive in any of them. Right? Like, I mean, like he's gotten taken down. He's gotten punched. I mean, Clay Guida outstruck him. Yeah. Clay Guida's striking was too much for him. That's something you barely ever hear. Yeah, I, I, I don't want a big move up for him. I don't want anybody in the top 15 for him yet. Although, then again, Clay might be in the top 15 at this point in time, right? Um, At featherweight? Yeah, I would assume he is. I could pull that up in a second. Um, Actually, you know what? He's not. He's yeah, not ranked. I, that makes sense. Or he, that might be he might have gotten bounced out after the loss. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You don't want a big step up. I, in I, he doesn't need a big step up. He needs somebody right around that same Clay Guida level. Then, um, you know, the other two that I thought were really interesting was Alex Caceres, a very much improved Oof. striking against That's, Cole hey, Miller after moving to the lab. Very, very many props to uh, what John Crouch did down there. Cause he, he looks, different fighter. He looks so good. I mean, he's he's trained somewhat at the lab before right i think but now it's been a more but permanent it, it, more permanent location yeah and, i don't know the the details of that but i do know he was at the lab for a bit at least before he looked really good there. And, and then the second guy who i just you have to give props to the improved striking goes to king's mma benil darush knocks out james vick ends his uh, five fight win streak benil darush is looking great recently and yeah, he looked good I mean, in that we, first round against michael chiesa he looked too. good against chiesa the the funny thing is he's such a good jiu-jitsu guy and he got beat by Kiesa's jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And, and now, still a jiu-jitsu guy, here comes the striking. But then again, you know, uh, Cordero out of Kings MMA has a way of doing that to people. Look at freaking Verdum. When Verdum won the title, he was doing it with his his knees, you yeah. know? And RDA, obviously, RDA, turned his career around yep. going to Kings. Yeah, he's a guy who got outstruck by Jeremy Stevens and knocked out by Jeremy Stevens. And now you don't want to strike with him either. Um, so what would you do for Benil Darush as a next fight? Um, who did I say that I saw uh, Al Iaquinta was fighting? Is it not Al Iaquinta? They're ra- Benil Darush is ranked 11th. Al Iaquinta is ranked 12th. Yeah, but I think I saw Al Iaquinta with somebody already. That would be a great a, one. But he's he's been out rumored. With a knee, but Al Iaquinta has been out with a knee injury for a sure while. I saw him rumored recently with somebody. It's like not officially announced. There's not anything on SureDog yet. Diego Sanchez? Uh, Moving back to 50? Five? No, that can't no. be it. I can't remember. Anyway, so but, I, but that, that would be a good one. I'd okay. watch him with somebody of that caliber. Yep, got ya, got ya. All right, so Gumby, that about takes care of uh, UFC 199 and what an event it was. Uh, very historic. 
we will now transition. We got a chance, or I should say, I got a chance to catch up with George Sullivan, New Jersey's own. He's going to be fighting on that UFC on Fox 20 card, uh, which is at the end of July. He's going to be fighting in Chicago. Yep. He's going to be fighting Hector Urbina. And we will play you that interview right after this. This interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting, a mixed martial arts gym in the lovely, quaint, and picturesque town of Amherst, Massachusetts. Classes six days a week. No gi, jiu-jitsu, submission, grappling, whatever you want to call it, is the specialty. Uh, it's the oldest MMA gym in Massachusetts, run by the two gentlemen who helped create MixedMartialArts.com, uh, the underground you may know it as. Come on down, tell them Dave and Gumby sent you. You'll be treated, or you'll be greeted with a choke and a smile. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with UFC fighter George Sullivan. This is David Tremonti with Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and I am speaking with UFC fighter George Sullivan. He is scheduled to fight Hector Urbina at UFC on Fox 20 at the United Center in Chicago on July 23rd. George, how are you today? How's training going? I'm feeling good. Training's going great. Uh, Stepping things up now. I'm in full-fledged fight camp now. So, um, you know, I'm going down from 205 to... 170 i'm going to be a little smaller this time because i think i heard they're changing the weight cut thing i think we have to be within nine pounds right the week of so i'm going to start shrinking now that way it doesn't take too much out of me <laughs> so what's been the biggest part of that is it diet are you up in the cardio it's always diet it's always it cardio is you believe it or not the amount we train is it it, it, it makes us skinny quick it's the diet as long as, as soon as you cut out a pizza and junk food and you're eating your carbs like every three days, I take this stuff from NutriShop called Carboline. So there's no fat, no sugar, no preservatives, nothing's in it, just carbs. Mm. So you take that and that's what you use for your fuel. And it leans me out pretty quick. So I'll start doing that now. Cause I'm, I'm going to go out to Rufus Sport in a couple of weeks. So I'm getting in shape just to go out there. That way I can get some better strikers. Uh, and, uh, interesting, yeah. You know, so that that's great. Work out with uh, Duke Rufus, and obviously Anthony Pettis is a big name out of yeah. the gym. And yeah, I also I fought Mike Rhodes, and we were friends after the fight. And we talk all the time, so you know we're gonna uh, go out there and sharpen up my striking because I've become such a wrestler and a ground and pound guy. The last fight was a bad game plan by you know. Unfortunately, I, I didn't agree with what my coach was saying, and when I went to do it and I stopped, that got me knocked out. Yeah, so there's no more think. There's no more game planning because two of my losses in the UFC are from game plans, but not even from instinct. Like the Tim Means thing, I didn't want to strike with him. I wanted to take him down, but you know the coaches thought it would be better to to outstrike him because I was a harder hitter, but he was a better striker. So it was stupid. Mm. You know, you got to use your your instincts when you fight. And I'm going back to my roots, and that's doing whatever the hell I want in the ring. So. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no. Improving as you get out there and just kind of free flowing. I know all the interviews I've ever done in the past have always said, fight with instinct, never a game plan. And what do I do? I fight with a freaking game plan, and it catches me thinking. It makes you think. Because when the game plan fails, you look for that next thing. No, you should just go out there, have fun, and, and go fight. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I'm doing from here on in. <laughs> no more of that. That I totally respect that. And I was actually going to ask, you know, what did you learn from it was the first KO loss of your career? Uh, and I wanted to the ask. First time I've ever, ever, first time I've ever even been knocked down. Unbelievable. The only person that ever, the only person that's ever even got me down is Tim Means tripped me. And, oh, and it, that just goes to show you that when you're not fighting clear minded and you're not fighting the way you do, you get caught. And I leaned back. I don't even really remember. I remember stopping because he wanted me to throw an inside leg kick on a lefty. And the way he was standing, the right hand was right there. And I stopped for that split second, and he stepped forward and then threw that right hook. And it got me. Mm. So, you know, I learned that you, you can't game plan. You, got, you can't stop moving. And you got to fight with instinct. You know, I don't care how much tape you study, how much things you think you know about the guy. If you go out there and that's all you think about, it's going to get you to stop. It got me to freeze. I was like a deer in headlights. You know, so basically the game plan for Urbina, without giving away too much, though, is you're going to improve the striking, go out to Rufus Sport, and you want to improvise a little bit when you get out there. Maybe less of a game plan more than anything. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Hector's a great fighter. I think he's he's got a lot of good chokes and good jujitsu. Uh, he's a wild type striker. Throws very wild and very wide. And uh, I think just strike with him, have some fun. And I feel like I'm the bigger, stronger guy. There's no doubt in my mind in that. Um, I just think I just have to go out there and fight with instinct and see what he's doing and just run my game plan. Like it's not my game plan, but what I want to do during the fight. I'm going to try to control the fight. I should say. Understood. Instead of game plan, control it. Now, I, you mentioned that you know he he's a good guy when it comes to the submissions. I noticed you recently got promoted to brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Is that correct? Yeah, and you know it's a funny story. I was a fourth uh, fourth stripe purple belt for three and a half years. Wow. So Kurt, <laughs> Kurt would not give me my brown belt. <laughs> it made you it earn was it. Funny. No, yeah, he did. I was I've been doing jiu-jitsu for eleven years. Um, I actually was a purple belt under Carmine Zochi when I joined Kurt. He made me a white belt. So I've been with Kurt for five years, and now I'm getting my brown belt. <laughs> so what was the final, I, I guess, what prompted him to finally give you the brown belt? He just felt you were I at think, that level? or I think he just felt it was time enough was enough making me wait. Because like I said, I had my fourth stripe for almost three years. Right. <laughs> That's just, you know, I was rolling at. Uh, Marcelo Garcia's. Um, I've been rolling there. I roll out, you know, a lot with different black belts. So, jujitsu. I should really use utilize it more when I fight, and I don't. Cause, um, you know, I love jujitsu. I just, I never. I always want the knockout. I always want to see that bar on Sherdog <laughs> grow. That's all I ever want. You know, I have, I have eighteen knockouts with Thai boxing. So it's like that's all I ever want to do is knock the person out, knock the person out. Right. You get knockout happy. Well, I mean, listen, there's a precedent there too. You know, I think the UFC, they like to promote the knockout. You know, that that's what looks good in a yeah. video highlight package. Yeah. You know, at least I won out on my, on my shield. You know, I, I tried, I, I, you know, getting knocked out and getting hit. I got a taste of my own medicine. I've knocked out a lot of people. So I wasn't even mad when I got knocked out. I was just disappointed in myself for doing what I did. Yeah. So, so are, are you, you know, going to... So I, I, sorry to interrupt. So, are you going to continue to work with Kurt? Is that the idea? And oh just yeah, cross- yeah, okay. yeah. So, yeah, Kurt, Kurt's always going to be my manager. He's always going to be my main guy. I'm still keeping my coaches. I just need to travel and get different sparring, get different looks, you know. And I'm going to go out and test Duke Rufus, you know, test the waters with Duke Rufus. If I, I get along with all the guys and I have a good time there, and it's, it's hard work. I'm sure they train hard, but you know, sometimes you don't click with people. So I'm only going to go for a little bit of time this time. And if I like it, I'm going to go back for double. And then if I like it even more, I'll take my coaches there and I'll do the full camp there because it's hard to find guys to spar. That's the problem, especially at 170. Everybody's a 55 or a 45 er Mm. You know, they're all they're, they're too small or they're too friggin' big. Like, <laughs> the 170s are like unicorns to find the spar. Right, right. And I guess, well, Askren's there at 170. I don't know how much, you know, sparring you yeah, might get Yeah, I, I heard he might be retiring, too. I, I don't even know if he's going to be there because I know he goes out to Indonesia and he teaches out there, too. Right. Plus, he's got his own school now. He's got his own wrestling academy. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. So maybe yeah, not. I, I believe I believe he's got his own school now. So I heard he was retiring. Well, CM Punk's there. He's one seventy. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean I don't know much about him. I don't know how talented he is yet because I know he's pretty new. I'm really just going for the kickboxers to be honest with you, and I, Mike Rhodes. I understand completely. So is that something? And this might be a dumb question. Do you go out there and do like a trial date where you go to Rufus Sports, almost like when you're uh, looking at different colleges and you you give it a night, or did you just have this all set up by Mike and you're going out there and just committing for a few? I'm weeks? just gonna go out there. Yeah, I'm gonna go out there for a week, seven days straight. If I like it a lot, I'll stay out longer because you just up. You know, I'm gonna fly out there, book a flight back. I can always extend it. But I also want to be with my coaches, too, to fine-tune. So I'm going to train here for three weeks, go out there for a week, come back here and train for three weeks. So Understood. we'll see how that that works out. But I, I was going to commit to two weeks, but Kurt's like, you know, what if you go out there and there's nothing there for you and it's just not your kind of training? Because I don't know what they do, you know. I know they're great. I just, you know, you got to see how you like it. You need to make sure it's right for you. Yeah, I was originally going to go to American Top Team, but uh, those those plans uh, fell through when I decided Kurt signed me to fight an ATT guy. Ah, that makes total <laughs> sense. That could get a little tricky. Yeah. 
Um, so you're a Jersey boy your whole life. I, you know, obviously a lot of talk with the UFC coming to MSG in November. Is that something you'd want to be a part of? Would you want to fight in uh, that New York in front of the New York City crowd, or is that something as a Jersey nope. guy? I don't want to fight at home ever again. Wow, <laughs> my at, two losses. In New York, my two right? losses are my two losses are here. And I'm jinxed right now. So until I freaking get my my shit together, <laughs> I want to travel because I, I want to go back to Brazil and fight as the bad guy and go out there and have fun because I had so much fun being booed and like just being a part of that. When you fight at home, there's pressure. There's it's like I had like 700 people there that I knew. I had the Asbury Park Press, Daily News, like all these papers. <laughs> Everybody's riding on you. Bets coming in. Everyone's like, oh, I'm betting this on you. I'm betting this on you. Home fighter, home fighter. It's just it, – I never thought I would say it, but there's 10,000 times more pressure fighting at home than there is fighting away. Yeah, no, that makes that I, makes total sense. I loved getting booed. I hated the way it felt to fight in Jersey. You would have made- I, I That's something – yeah, it's something I have to overcome. You would have made a great pro wrestling heel, as they say, if you like getting booed. Yeah, like I would be a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Even right. though I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> Both great to yeah. be a bad guy. Um, so listen, George, we've kept you a little bit over what we thought we would. It was great talking to you, and we definitely want to catch up with you uh, after the fight with Urbina uh, later on in the summer. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's been great, and we wish you all the best in the fight. Thank you so much, guys. So there you have it, Gumby, George Sullivan. Yeah, and you got to respect the uh, the decision, even as hard as it might be, to move away from a guy you've trained with your whole life to uh, to better his career. There, moving to Rufus Sport. I, he'll, I mean, he'll still be with Pellegrino, but yeah, he just said he needed to, you know, get away and try something new. He wasn't liking the game plans, and he wanted to switch it up, and he goes to Rufus Sport and, to train with the likes of CM Punk. Yeah, and you <laughs> and you got to you do have to respect that though, because there are so many guys in MMA who do get stuck with their coaches. I mean, the one that sticks me the most is Gabriel Gonzaga you know like who does he train with at heavyweight you know most people don't know who's training at Team Link with the exception of him and the you know occasional guy who's gotten hired and fired by the UFC so um yeah your training partners are obviously a huge thing yeah and and so that's a huge change for him um so it's kind of apropos as they say that we will talk about the news that and something that Dave Tremonti on this very show has been pumping for the past couple months Finally, Anthony Pettis is going to move down to 145, where I think he'll be a better fit. Yeah, and you know the thing about 145 too is there's way less wrestling-based guys down there, so I think that plays into his style better. You know, it seems like the guys who are who are at the top of the division there are all strike first guys. Yeah, you know the I mean? only one I could really think of right now off the top of my head would be if they were just dicks and they're like, "Hey, welcome to featherweight. Here's Chad Mendes." Yeah, yeah, that would be like a <laughs> That'd terrible. Be the move. only one, but you could say, "Welcome to featherweight." Here's Max Holloway. Right. That'd be, I mean, take my money now. You could say, you know, welcome to, you know, featherweight. Here's Jose Aldo off of a loss to Frankie Edgar. Yeah. Charles Oliveira. Oh, God. You know, there are a bunch of good fights for him down there. A lot of, not a lot of heavy wrestlers. Like you said, the only one you can think of is Chad Mendez. So it's like a way better fit for him right now. I'm even looking at this right now, Gumby. This is actually kind of crazy. Like Brian Ortega, who let's face it, as as fun as the come from behind third round wins have been, (laughs) he's ranked number 10. Dennis Bermudez, number nine. He's a good wrestler. Yeah, um, Dennis Bermudez might be trouble for Anthony Pettis. But, you know, Cub Swanson. Striker. I mean, these are all people. Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, these are uh, – well, Stevens has so much power. But, yeah, these are but, all but they're, people. they're striker guys. Yeah, they're strikers. So these are all people that I would probably pick Anthony Pettis again, and I've been beating this drum for a while. I think it's a great move on his it, part. It is a really good move for him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was one piece of news. But then the bummer uh, news of the week was the passing of Kimbo Slice. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it's been really interesting to me. And, you know, obviously thoughts and, and prayers go out to the family because, uh, you know, 42. Six kids. Six kids. Uh, you know, he's only 42 years old, which, you know, and, you know, we think of as an old MMA fighter, but it's certainly not an old person. You know, he, he's very much way, way too young for something like this to happen um, and lots of family. But it's been interesting to see how the, the media has covered him, too, people calling him anywhere between – you know, former street fighter and MMA legend, you know, like I've seen the complete gamut of things. And it's interesting to see how people decided to pay respect to him 
with their titles. He certainly, I have to say, you know, as hardcore MMA fans, we obviously had a different opinion of him than maybe the average Joe does because we knew what his real skills were in the octagon. But from a historical perspective, I mean, he's the king of MMA TV, like ratings. Yeah. I mean, he did so well in ratings. Ratings, right. I mean, like you had – Household name. The the thing I will say about him is that, you know, he ends his career – Six and two, right? <laughs> he was six and two. Yeah, it was. You know, like right. not very many people beat Kimbo Slice. You know, Seth Petrozelli and Seth Petrozelli and Roy Nelson. Well, Roy Nelson doesn't count. call. Yeah, count because I think there's ex- one more in there. Matt Mitrione. Yeah, and Matt Mitrione. Matt Mitrione. So I mean, like you talk about the fact that you're you're talking about his legacy, and and you know. He had a pretty decent career for a guy who stepped into the game at 40 years old. Yeah. You know, he had an amazing career for somebody like that. And you know what? He The, the thing all of his training partners have said about him, too, is that he wasn't a street fighter who just, like, walked in and was like, all right, pay me money. I'm going to run my mouth, sort of like Dada 5000 was. He took MMA very seriously. He took all aspects of MMA very seriously. You know, he loved his training partners more than anything. Somebody asked him one time on uh, on one of those Ask Me Nows on Reddit who his favorite MMA fighter was, and he said Charles Rosa. <laughs> really? Yeah, he said Charles Rosa was That's his favorite MMA awesome. fighter. Yeah, you know, so, you know, Boston kid who trains down at American Top Team, but he just knows how hard he works yeah. because he's seen him in the gym. Right. So, like, you have to love that about him, that, you know, he loved his teammates. He very much took the sport of MMA seriously, even though he was only entering it at 40 years old. So, Well, he entered it – so he died at 42. He entered it at um, – 37. Yeah, right. Because it's 2007. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but close so to 40 years old. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, like – so I, I will always respect him for that reason, you know, and, and I – you know, the last fight obviously was, was a, a tough one to watch. But I always respect him for how seriously he took MMA, how much he loved his teammates, how much he repped his team all the time. You know, that's the kind of guy you want in the game. And uh, it, it's really sad to see him go so young. Agreed. Um, and then, you know, we earlier we spoke about Brock Lesnar coming back. One thing we didn't really talk about was that uh, his opponent is, of course, Mark Hunt. God, I can't wait for this fight. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of funny because Brock went on SportsCenter and he's like, this is what people want to see, a uh, striker versus a grappler. And I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, UFC 4. Um, you know, Mark. I, I, you know what? You say that at UFC 4. I want this. No, I I, I I very much want this. I do too, but I just I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of a different landscape. But you know what? To be fair, Stipe just took Mark Hunt down against the cage and ground and pounded him. And obviously, Brock, I'm sure, has seen that fight, and that's his blueprint for success. Ha- have you seen the odds? The odds have been crazy fluctuating. Started with fight. Brock as a favorite. Started with Brock as like a 140 favorite. He went all the way down to like a plus 220 underdog. Right now he's hovering at like a plus 140 underdog. Mm-hmm. But it's like like you could find a different line in 15 minutes if you just wait. Mm-hmm. You'll get the right one you want. Um, it's tough to listen. He hasn't fought in six years. He was on a two fight losing streak, which he, you know, would blame on diverticulitis. He lost to Kane, lost to uh, probably roided up at the time. Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem. Which, by the way, no shame in those two losses. No. I mean, if you talk about his losses in his career, there's three of them, right? Overeem, Kane, and Frank Mir. Uh, right, and the Frank Muir one it's, was a freak one was because freak they should have never stood him yeah, up, and whole, he was winning anyway. Yeah, I blame Mazzagatti more than I blame Brock for that. And then, well, you also have to go the other way. I mean, Brock's fights are so much fun. He's a freak show. It's great. Yeah. He also came dangerously close to losing to Carwin. Oh, God, that was – so I was a Carwin fan at the time, and my brother was a, a Lesnar fan. <laughs> uh, but that was heartbreaking to watch. But so entertaining. Like, yeah. one of the most entertaining heavyweight fights I've seen in a really long time. I'm telling you, man, I gotta say, I'm, like, a purist of MMA, and I want, like, the best fighters to fight the best fighters, and title shots to be earned and all that. 
but the UFC's matchmaking the past few months, I'm like, dude, I'm all over it. Brock coming back, co-main event, bring it. Yeah. Cyborg, let's just put her a catchweight. Don't need to see her at 135. Cool. Uh, Nate Diaz and Connor, 170, whatever. Right now, yeah. It like kind of drives my brain crazy because I like to have order, you know, and I want people in the right divisions and I want co-main events to be people who earned it and but the ufc is just like nah fuck this we're going for the biggest business possible and it's been exciting well i think you know what they're doing a really good thing with like the deserving person getting a title shot now obviously there's a couple of examples outside there but think about bisping getting it they did a really good job of giving it to bisping who deserved it they did a really good job of giving it to stipe who deserved it right you know they did a really good thing by giving john jones the calling it an interim title fight because i mean deep down he's really the champion, champion yeah. so like they now they're giving frankie aldo a fight instead of making him wait for connor and just giving it you know giving yeah. that an interim i think they're doing a lot of right things with the title fights but in the meantime they're also like hey check this shit out right we got like, some crazy shit over i know here. i know you're not that interested in watching uh john jones beat the crap out of osp for a title that isn't the real one but let me tell you something. I also have this for you. Yeah. Look behind curtain two. Uh, it's here little, is something amazing. And it honestly, it reminds me, it's a little pride-esque, which just warms my heart, um, but not all the way pride, which I wouldn't want. Yeah, no, you don't want, like, you don't want fight-fixing Yakuza fight. Right. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, there is sort of an element to the spectacle of it, and I'm loving that. And I also have to say, I had this thought when... Connor didn't want to do the press conference, and it was just so immediate. All right, you're out, and the U and we're all going crazy. What? Why would the UFC not want to work with Connor oh. for the buy rate at UFC 200? And now the puzzle pieces fit. It makes sense how Dana White and the Fertitas could be such gangsters to Connor. They had Brock Lesnar they, they up, their up their sleeve. Oh. That's that's. The, I mean, honestly, historically speaking, while I think Connor will now from this day forward be the bigger pay per view draw, just from all the press with the Mayweather and everything that happened with Diaz, but Brock Lesnar, one point six million buys, UFC one hundred, and here he is back for two hundred. And I also have to say, if you remember. Gumby, I was always chiming in on how I thought UFC 200 needed some sort of link to the past. Yeah, like because John, it. yeah, the, we have it. Yeah. The UFC 100 co-main event is back. Yeah, it it's amazing. It's so good. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's no words for how excited we should all be about this. <laughs> so we'll wrap on that. We'll leave on a high note. Another great episode in the bank. We'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be previewing um, Rory McDonald versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Yeah, up in Ottawa, which is a pretty fun fight card, too. Our uh, old friend Misha Serkinov's fighting on that one, too. And friend of the show Patrick Cote will yeah. be fighting Donald Cerrone in a fight that actually has a lot of relevance at 170. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back with that. You, of course, can email the show, topturtlemma at gmail.com. Um, give the show a follow, Top Turtle MMA, on Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You can catch us on there. And, of course, MMA-Manifesto.com, the mothership. For Gumby, this is David Tremonti. We thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week.